Uh, we're going to take a little break from the series we've been in. As if you've been, uh, been here the last few weeks, Joseph has been leading us through a great series of messages from the book of Romans. And um, he asked me if I wanted to continue Romans. And I'm like, no, you're good. I'm learning a lot from you. Let's let you keep going on that. We're going to be today in the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible with you or if you want to pull up an app, uh, on your device there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. It's going to be on the screen as well, but if you want to follow along uh, on something you're holding in your hand, that, that's always a good thing. Luke chapter 18, I'm going to read the first eight verses of that in just a second, but let me, let me start with a, with a question. Um, do you have things in your life that you believe uh, the facts of? Like you would say, okay, I believe, I know these are the facts. But then when you look at your life, the way you live, you don't actually live like those facts are true or, or like they mean anything to you. So, so for instance, the, here's the easy example for me, especially based on what we've just done the last week. I know some facts about nutrition. I don't know a whole lot. I can't tell you what a calorie is. It's like some chemistry formula that I never paid attention to at school. But I know, some, I know this about nutrition with me. I know there are certain things that I eat that make me not feel that great, that I enjoy it when I'm eating them, but later on I, I don't enjoy how I feel afterwards. I know there are certain things that I should eat that I don't eat that would probably make me feel better. I know that I shouldn't have three helpings of anything. Um, I, I know that I shouldn't have eaten anywhere from 12 to 18 deviled eggs over the you know, course of this past week. Um, but you know, when your mama makes them and your mother-in-law makes them, they're really, really good. And I know all those facts to be true. And, and I could probably even take a quiz on some things about nutrition and maybe get a lot of those answers right. But then when it comes to actually me living that out, I would say that I probably have an inactive belief about nutrition instead of an active belief. I, I know that those things are true, but I'm not doing anything about it or not doing what I should about it. And I think sometimes we are in situations like that in a lot of areas in our lives. And, and I want to talk to you today about something in our spiritual lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, um, this would be something that if you go to this church and you hear good sermons every week, which you do if you come to this church, if, if you read your Bible regularly, which if you're not doing that, I would encourage you to do that every day. And, and if you've been around church and been around those types of things, you've heard a lot about this topic and you probably know a lot of facts about this topic. You maybe even could quote some Bible verses on this topic, but sometimes when it comes to actually living this out and, and something that maybe you would say you have an active belief in, when you look at the way that you live, maybe you're not practicing it the way uh, you should based on the facts that you know. And uh, what, we're, it, what we're talking about today is don't worry, not gluttony. I know you were thinking, well, are we going down this path? But uh, I'm the guest pastor. I'll let your real pastor offend you <laughs> and preach on gluttony one week. But now we're talking about prayer today. And I want to I read to you, we're going to read a story that Jesus told, and he told it specifically about prayer. And so uh, let's look at Luke 18, 1 through 8, and follow along while I read this story that Jesus told. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. 
And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, I think it's interesting that this judge is very self-aware. Uh, like God, you know, Jesus describes him. He doesn't care about anybody and doesn't care about God. And the how, judge, how would you describe yourself? I don't care about anybody and I don't care about God. So he knows who he is, right? And then he says in verse 5, Yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, when I, I told you a while ago that um, sometimes as followers of Jesus, as Christians, Maybe we have more of an inactive belief than an active belief when we think about what we know about prayer or what we've read in the scripture about prayer. I, I'm not accusing myself or accusing all y'all of saying we don't ever pray. Um, we, we pray a lot, I think, and, and chances are you pray, you pray regularly. But, but what, I, what I was referring to is sometimes I know that I have been guilty of this, and chances are you are too, when we're faced with something, our initial idea is, how do we fix it? And, and we don't go to prayer first. And so we do things like we make a plan. We, we try to rely on the power of our own influence. Maybe we try to fix it by throwing some money at it. We, we come up with a lot of different ideas of how we can try to take care of whatever the issue is, but it's all things that we can do and we can control. And, and that's a natural thing for us to do sometimes as humans. I think it's a natural thing for us to do as Americans because we believe in hard work and we believe that we, you know, we've pretty much been able to solve all our own problems as a country, or at least we think. And as South Carolinians, if you're a South Carolinian, you really believe that because we don't like people to help us. Like we don't trust anybody from the outside. So we got to really do it ourselves. And so sometimes we can be guilty of, of trying to do all these things ourselves. And, and we end up being kind of like my youngest daughter, Grace, who's now in her twenties when she was three years old. And her favorite thing to say was, I do it myself. And whatever it was she had going on, you try to help her. And she say, I do it myself. And sometimes we have that, we take that approach when we're faced with situations. Now, understand that all those things I talked about are good things. I'm not telling you when you're faced with a difficult situation not to make a plan. I'm, I'm not telling you not to try to use your contacts that you have or try to use your influence. I'm not telling you that, that it's not good to, to put money towards something. All those things are good things. Those are all tools that, that God has given us. And you can read in Scripture where He encourages us to, to work hard and to make plans and, and to do those things. So I'm not saying we don't do those Things, But what I'm saying is the best thing, the first thing we should do that we read in Scripture is that we should pray. And the other thing, and here's, here's where it gets really real and difficult, is there are going to be situations, and if you're not in one now, you will be in one at some point in your life. There will be situations where all of your planning 
and all of your hard work and all of your influence and all of your money and all of your friends and all of that stuff, they cannot solve the issue. You will come into to times of your life where you don't have any options and you will try all of your options and none of them are going to make a difference. You will oftentimes find yourself in life in a place that you never intended to be. And maybe you're there because of choices you made and you made some unwise and some ungodly choices and it got you there. And sometimes you're there and it's choices that other people made. You had no control over it, but it puts you in a position, it puts you in a place of desperation. And none of the things that you try will work. And when we are in those places in life, and I've been there, and, and you have probably been there, or maybe you're there now, where when we're in those places in life, we are just like the widow in this story that Jesus told. So one of the things, what we know about the widow from, from what Jesus told us is that she had a situation that, that she wanted the judge to do something about. We don't know what it was. Uh, it says that, that she wanted justice against her adversary. We have no idea what the details of that are. But here's what we know from that day is we know that widows were people of non-importance whatsoever in that culture that widows had no influence, they had no power, they were at the mercy of others. Whether they were going to eat, whether they were going to have shelter, whether they were going to have things happen for them, it was completely dependent on what other people would do for them. And so that's where this widow was. She had no power, she had no influence. And sometimes when we're in those desperate situations, we're just like the widow. We're in a place where the best efforts we can do, as hard as we work, what we can do is not going to change anything. I love the, the first verse of this that I read. Now, now the story, I, I read verses 1 through 8. The story that Jesus tells goes from verse 2 to verse 8. Verse 1 is, is the words of Luke who wrote the, who wrote the book. And, uh, and, 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 and in Luke begins by saying, hey, I want you to pay attention to this story that Jesus told, and here's why he told it. Now, this is rare. Um, you don't see this very often. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read through those books, and Jesus tells all kinds of stories. It was his favorite way to teach. And, and very, very, he was very rare that he did what I'm doing right now and stand up and say, hey, here's a bunch of things. Remember point one, two, and three. Well, the way he taught was he would just start telling a story. And you'd have to be figuring out, okay, what, who does this represent? And what does he mean by the story? And, and very rarely in Scripture do we read where it says, here's why Jesus told this story. But we've got this here because Luke tells us in verse 1, he makes it very clear. He says, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. Luke gives us two exhortations there. Pray always and never give up. Pray always and never give up. And I love that this is simple. Here's why it's great that it's simple. Because when you're in that desperate place in life, 
where everything you're going to try is not going to work. Where, where you're praying for someone else and we can't control someone else. We can't even control ourselves half the time. And you're praying for a situation. You're praying for something to change. You're praying for something to be moved. And you're desperate. And, and you, you, you begin to, to lose hope. It's great that this plan is simple, that there's two steps. Pray always and never give up. It would have been bad if, if Luke had said, okay, we got this seven-step plan. And after you do number two, you got these three sub-steps. And then you got to get this other guy involved. And then you do the next step. No, it's just simple. There's two things. Pray always and never give up. It couldn't be more simple. Now, the last part is, is maybe not as simple as it sounds, the never give up part. Because when you're in that situation, whatever it is, and you don't see anything change, it's easy to give up. It's easy to lose hope. And so, even if you pray always, sometimes the giving up part is the most difficult part of the instructions here. But I love verse 5, the way Jesus describes what the widow did. So the judge had just said, even though I don't fear God or respect people, it says, yet because this widow keeps pestering me. I, I love that it says that in the Bible. This widow keeps pestering me because sometimes I've been in that spot and maybe you're in that spot now where you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm pestering. I, I just asked God for this yesterday and I asked him for it the day before that and I asked him for it the day before that. In fact, now that I think about it, I've asked him for it three times today and we start to feel like a, a toddler who just, you know, starts bugging you about wanting something and, and, and you don't answer and they keep asking and keep asking. And, and, and Jesus says that's what, that's what the pray always part of this has to be like. It's got to be like a pestering widow going to a judge where we continue to ask day after day. And then the last part of that verse is my favorite part of this whole story. Because again, now this judge doesn't care about this woman. And he says, this widow keeps pestering me. Because she keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. Why? So that she doesn't wear me out. I don't care about you. I don't care about your situation. But good night, woman. You are about to wear me out. I mean, how many times, how many days in a row had she come to him? I mean, how, how long must it have taken to finally break down the wall of this, this unrighteous judge, apathetic to her problems, to finally, he said, good gracious, so you'll leave me alone. I'm going to finally give you what you want. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there when you've got something going on and you feel like, okay, I've got to wear God out with this. I've been in that situation. I remember I, I can remember specifically telling Sherry, my wife, a couple mornings, I'm wearing God out today with this. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going. I'm going to wear him out. But here's the here's the best part of the story. We aren't asking a judge that we have to wear out. See, look at what verse 7 and 8 says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? 
I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Here's the interesting part of this this story that Jesus told. When you first read a story and Jesus says, says there's a judge, we would immediately think, okay, the judge represents God. That's what you would immediately think. Why? Because the judge is the, is the person in the story that can make something happen. So we would think, okay, the, the judge in this story represents God. But then we read the description of the judge and it says he doesn't care about God or respect people. So no, that, that's not our God. That we don't serve a God who doesn't respect people or, or care about holy things. So it, it can't represent our God. But what Jesus tells us here is there's only one similarity between the judge and the story and our judge, which is God the Father. The one similarity is they both can make something happen. The judge in this story had the power to change the widow's circumstances. And the judge that we serve has the power to change our lives. That's the only similarity. After that, the similarities end. But if we're not careful, when we're in that desperate place and we're not seeing something happen and we are continuing to pester and to pray always, it's easy to believe that our judge, that God the Father, is like the judge in this story, that he's able to do something, but he doesn't care to do it. I've even, I've even prayed that prayer before. I've even, in times of desperation, I, I remember praying one time and telling the Lord, God, I know that you can do this, but I just don't think you want to do it for me. Maybe you've been there. It's easy to start to believe that our judge is a judge that doesn't respect people or care about the things that God cares about. But Jesus says that our judge is different. First thing is that our judge does care for us. He cares for us. Verse 7, it says, Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day, day and night? Now, who are the elect? The elect is you and me if you have believed that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave and you have placed your trust in him. Then you are one of the elect. The elect are the people that Jesus died for and they have accepted that gift. Now, if, if God the Father sent his only son to die for us, then that's the greatest proof that there is that he cares for us. There is no greater proof that he cares than the fact that someone died in our place to take our punishment. John 15, 13, Jesus said, no one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. The difference between our judge and the judge in this story is that our judge cares deeply for us, cares so deeply that he has sacrificed himself for us. The second thing about our judge, about God the Father, that's different from the judge in the story is that our judge is working. He's working. One of the things that we know to be true is that whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever this unchangeable in our minds situation that you're living in, that you're dealing with, is that God is already at work in it. One of the things we know to be true is that there's no way we can surprise God with anything we come to Him to talk about. 
You're never going to pray and God say, well, dadgum, I, I didn't even know that was going on. God probably doesn't ever say dadgum, but that's just my, that's the way I talk. But you're never going to be able to surprise him. There's never a prayer that you've prayed where he says, well, I didn't know she was going to ask for that. I, I had no idea he was struggling with that. Every single thing that, that we bring to him, not only does he already know, but he's already at work in it. And he's not sitting back with his, his hands folded saying, as soon as they ask, I'll start to work on that. He's already at work in it. He cares for us and he is working. The other thing that he's working on is he's working on preparing you for it before it happens. Whatever this thing is, whatever it is, you know, that's going on that, that you're, you're desperately, you're, in a, you're just in a place that you can't fix it and all you can do is ask God to fix it. Is before that ever happened, God was already getting you ready for the day that it was going to happen. That's part of his grace and mercy to us. Is he sees the whole picture. We only see what's right here in front of us and he's already preparing us for what's coming. And then the last thing that we know to be true about our judge is that, now this is the difficult part. He works at his own pace. He works at his own pace. Verse 8 Jesus says, I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. My definition of swiftly and God's definition of swiftly are often very, very different. My definition of swift is that by the time I say amen, that what I've asked for is taken care of. Or at most by the end of the day. But that's not the way God works. We live on his timeline. He doesn't live on ours. And so when we read there that there are things that only he can do, we can't fix them. And that he's going to do them swiftly, that can be discouraging to us as we're living in the midst of those things. Because when you're desperate, it doesn't feel like it's happening swiftly. But if we know that He cares for us and we know that He's working, uh, we have to have faith that He's going to take care of it in His timeline, in His own way. One of the other difficult parts of this is sometimes the most important work, we're, we're praying for a, a situation, right? Maybe we're praying for another person. We're praying for a change out there, something we think we need or something that needs to be um, you know, taken care of. And we think that's the most important part. And maybe the biggest thing that needs to change that God's working on is, is what's going on in our own hearts. And so as we're praying for this other situation, the real work that's being done, the most important work that's being done is being done inside of us. I know personally for me, 
that in those years of desperately praying, desperately begging God to move, to do what only he could do, that as my prayers were more frequent and more desperate, that my understanding of who he is, of his love and his holiness was bigger and bigger than it had ever been. Think about your own life. Think about, think about where you've been from birth till now. And you think about the times in your life where your understanding of God's love for you expanded the most. I would almost be willing to bet my house that it was in a time of difficulty. I've had hundreds, probably thousands of conversations with people where they will say, it was during the time that this happened that I lost a job or I got a diagnosis or I lost a spouse or I lost a child or, or just things went off the rails. I got a divorce. It was during these times that at the end of it, when I look back, God used that to help me understand more about who he is. God uses heartache and desperation. He uses all those things because he doesn't let anything go to waste. It was caused by our own sin or caused by the sin of someone else. It's not like it was, you know, God wanted us to go through that. But if we're going to go through it, he's going to be sure that it doesn't go to waste. He's going to use it for his glory. So the big point of this whole story, Jesus wants us to know, is that if a, if a selfish unrighteous judge will grant justice to a woman that he didn't care about and didn't have any relationship with, then we can be sure that a loving, perfect judge who loves us enough to die for us will grant us justice if we ask him for it. And I love that Jesus tells it this way because there's a lot of places in Scripture where he does this, where he'll say, hey, look at this guy. If this guy will do this, then, then your God will do this. If, uh, if, uh, if you know being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much better will a perfect loving God give good gifts to you? Jesus does this all throughout Scripture. But we have to do what verse 7 says. Verse 7 says that will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out, to him day and night and we can't ever give in to the urge to fix things our way the uh, one of the best NFL teams right now or has been are the Kansas City Chiefs I don't know if y'all heard there's a dude on there he's dating this person evidently she's kind of a big deal I don't know if you've heard about that but but if let's say the Kansas City Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl this year, like they have in the last few years. And the week of the Super Bowl, the Chiefs coach Andy Reid tells the press, hey, uh, we're not starting Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. He's an MVP. He's won the Super Bowl before for us, and he's you know set records that nobody else has ever done. But uh, this year for the Super Bowl, we're going to start Brad, our punter. I have no idea what the Kansas City Chiefs punter is named, but Brad sounds like the name of a punter, right? <laughs> And they're like, why are you starting Brad? Well, because, uh, you know, he, he played a little quarterback in middle school and um, before he started just focusing on kicking. And, uh, well, has Brad got a strong arm? It's pretty good. You know, he's completed some passes. 
in, uh, in practice and all that stuff. That would be crazy. It wouldn't make any sense, would it, to take, to take your best weapon and leave it on the bench and try to solve this problem of winning the Super Bowl a different way by putting Brad in when you've got Patrick Mahomes. And sometimes when we are in these places and, and we've got these situations that we're dealing with and we do all these other things and we try to control it and we try to convince somebody or something, we try to argue them into our way of thinking. We try to, to gather up all of our forces and all of our amount, uh, amassed influence and wealth and power and try to change something and we don't use the best weapon that God has given us, which is going to a holy God and desperately day after day after day begging him to change the life of someone, begging him to change our situation, begging him to grant justice where justice is needed. Don't ever give in to the temptation to exchange what you can do for something that only God can do. You will be discouraged. You will feel alone. You will be tempted to believe that God's not at work. Pray always and never give up. Pray always and never give up. Pray always and never give up. Let's pray now. Father God, I thank you for the stories that Jesus told and uh, how they are exactly what we need to hear today. Father, I, I know what it's like to be in those places where you're desperately praying day after day and waiting to see something happen. And so, Father, I, I pray for everyone here today that we would be encouraged, that we would remember that you care for us, that you are at work, and that when we're in the middle of, of you working on your timeline and we want something to be done already, that, that we would trust you and be patient in the waiting. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that we are elect, part of the elect if we have given our lives to him. Thank you for the confidence that that gives us to come to our righteous and holy judge day after day and to ask you for justice, to ask you for the things that we want to see happen, that we need to see happen. And God, thank you that you only grant those things to us when our hearts are ready for it. Help us this week as we go do the things we're going to do. We go to work and school and all the places we'll be. Help us to be encouraged and to remember that you are a holy, loving God who's given so much for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.